Hey, it's Josh. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you all know that the Vermont Public Spring Membership Drive has arrived. Donations from folks like you make everything we do here possible. If you want to help support our people-powered journalism, be sure to make a donation in any amount by March 16th by going to bravelittlestate.org donate. And as always, thank you for your support. Thanks to Vita for their support of Brave Little State. Since 1974, Vita has helped Vermont businesses grow and thrive. From agriculture to energy, startups to family companies. Find solutions that fit your business. Visit VEDA.org to start your next chapter today. And Sunset Lake CBD, a farmer-owned business crafting CBD products right here in Vermont. Learn more about their sustainable farming practices, delivery options, and how to support local farmers at sunsetlakecbd.com. From Vermont Public Radio, this is Brave Little State. If you drive by Bobolink Farm in East Montpelier, you'll notice that a lot of the structures have seen better days. All that's left of the old dairy barn is the foundation. Right now, there are sheep living in it. There's an old milking parlor that used to connect to the barn. Part of that roof is cut off, and there's a big arc of metal just jutting out into the open air. Pretty much the only building left standing of any value on this property. This is owner Bruce Howlett. Bruce and his wife bought this farm three years ago, and they've been trying to figure out what to do with one building in particular. Although it's hard to even call it a building. It's the remnants of a 1964 renovation of a 1912 barn, which replaced a, I don't know, 1840 barn, which is pretty typical for these things. Since this is for radio, can you describe what it looks like now? There's basically one level left, and the, the upper three levels have been, were removed. They were just sawed right off. It's like someone went around with a chainsaw and sawed all the beams off. And you can see that part of it is collapsed and part of it is leaning and all of it looks like crap because it is. For better or for worse, barns that look like crap are kind of a fixture of the Vermont landscape. Drive around for long enough and you'll see one listing to the side or crumbling in on itself. Bruce doesn't actually think his barn is that bad compared to some other ones. There are definitely worse ones I could point you to. There's one on Route 14 down here that's pretty, pretty sad. And there are others, there are many, but this one is just, it's well past the sad point and it's just honest, it's just gone, basically. This month on the podcast, Vermont's old, sad, falling down barns. Welcome to Brave Little State, VPR's people powered journalism podcast. I'm Angela Evansy. This is a show about curiosity and exploration. We take on your questions about Vermont, our region, and its people, and we report them out with your help. This month, a question from Jeanette Schaefer of Middlesex. Jeanette wanted to know why it is that so many barns in Vermont are left in a suspended state of disrepair. Why are so many barns left to fall down on their own rather than be taken down? We're going to talk to the people who own these barns, the people who take them down, and the people who fix them up. And yes, we are also going to wax philosophical about the Vermont landscape. We have support from the VPR Journalism Fund. Welcome. So I tag-teamed with VPR's Liam Elder Connors on this episode. Hey, Liam. Hi, Angela. 
And you talked to our brave question asker, Jeanette. Yeah, I did. Jeanette lives in Middlesex, like you said, but her question actually has a lot to do with Germany. Okay, go on. It's kind of a long setup, but bear with me here. Jeanette's a U.S. citizen, but she grew up in Germany in a town called Bundenbach. Uh, So I grew up in a place that looks similar to Vermont. The mountains aren't quite as high, but it's very green and very hilly, very rural. A similar landscape, but definitely a bit more tidy than Vermont in terms of people's property and so forth. Jeanette says it was basically the same deal in the city of Morfelden, which is where she lived as an adult. In fact, they had a municipal office there that basically enforced tidiness and order. The Ordnungsamt. Can you, the, the, on? the Ordnungsamt. The on? Ordnungsamt. So I'm not even going to try to say it, but this office is in charge of things like sanitation inspections, noise complaints, and parking rules. Jeanette told me about a little run-in that she had with them once. We were reprimanded once because we weren't keeping up our sidewalk well enough uh, because we had weeds growing out of the cracks. And just had someone knock on your door and say, your weeds are looking a yep. little fun. Yeah, <laughs> we'll write you a ticket if, if you don't take care of this. Fast forward to 10 years ago, Jeanette and her husband moved to Vermont, where there are literally entire buildings falling down, and people are okay with it. Jeanette noticed the difference, but says it actually didn't bug her. I didn't find it bothersome to see the barns falling down. I just thought it was part of the New England landscape. And I think we all kind of feel this way, right? Some of the barns in this state are like old-growth trees. They've borne witness to so much history and so many changes. I'll be driving down a dirt road and you get deja vu and you say, God, I'm in the middle of nowhere, but I know I've been here before. And you see this barn and you realize, geez, I looked at that in 1978 and it's still there. So they're proud structures. This is Ken Epworth of an outfit in Windsor called The Barn People. He does barn dismantling and restoration, and we're going to hear more from him later. What I think is interesting about this topic is that relatively few of us are owners of Vermont barns. But if you live here or you spend time here, you probably have, like, a personal barn that you like to keep an eye on. Maybe you drive by it on your commute or it's on your neighbor's property. And maybe it has been slumping just a little further to the side over the years. The particular picture that I sent to you was a small barn on the county road in Callis, Vermont. While we were working on this episode, we put a call out to you, our audience. We asked you to share photos of the old barns in your lives, and we got a ton of responses. It has been such a joy to see it, but alas, it no longer exists. It has fallen down, and they've carted it away. I just moved up here to Hyde Park from Brooklyn, New York, and the house that we're renting has this beautiful old barn attached to the back of it. We have no idea what to do with it. I mean, our Brooklyn apartment could fit inside that thing, twice. The barn that I photographed in Benson is close to the road, where you can really appreciate the craftsmanship of the farmer who built it. Weather has beaten it down, but it has defied time and stands, however shakily, as a testament to Vermont's heritage. That was Donna Iverson, and before her, Liz Schroeder-Courtney and Kevin O'Donnell. They're some of the many people who shared their photos with us, and we've got a big gallery slash map up at bravelittlestate.org. You know, for after you finish listening to this episode. Anyway, our question asker, Jeanette, wanted to know why these structures get neglected. And Jeanette... There are many reasons. The first has to do with the history of farming in Vermont. Many of those older barns 
are reaching the end of what we might call their sort of service life. This is Tom Visser. So I am a professor of historic preservation at the Historic Preservation Program in the History Department at the University of Vermont. A lot of history. <laughs> There's a lot of history. Tom basically wrote the book on barns. The book is titled Field Guide to New England Barns and Farm Buildings. Tom says the history of Vermont farming has been one of transitions, from sheep farming to dairy and cheese. Cheese, of course, as we know, gets better with age. And so do barns, kind of. Tom says as the industry changed, barns were adapted to new uses. They, of course, were not just typically torn down at the time because they could be converted for other purposes. And that meant a good number of them survived. Here's an estimate from Devin Coleman. We tend to say between five and 10,000, <laughs> which is still very broad, but definitely in the thousands. Devin's the state's architectural historian. And while that might sound like a lot of barns, there are way, way fewer farms than there used to be. Devin says there were around 11,000 small dairy farms in the state in the 1940s. But by the turn of the century, that number was down to 1,000. So that's 10,000 small farms that have either shut down or merged into larger, more corporate-scale farming. And those smaller uh, operations, they don't need all those barns. So a lot of times they fall to the wayside. So basically, a lot of farms stopped being farms, which meant there was less of a reason to maintain the barns, even though they were still sitting there on people's property. And by the way, our question asker, Jeanette, was totally clued in on this. I think it it just shows this history of where New England was and where it, it sadly might be going. It's probably the biggest reason for these barns falling down is economic. That also just shows where the state of... Vermont farming might be. But before we get too doom and gloomy about all this, I want to point out that there are still working farms and dairies that are making perfectly good use of their old barns. Well, we have some old, we have a nice old one there. Yeah, it looks yeah. good. <laughs> yes, indeed. George Kempton is the patriarch in residence at Kempton yeah. Farm in Peacham. Yes, it was built in uh, 1897. Okay. The original barn burned. Okay, one second. Let me put these headphones on so I can... I show up totally unannounced at George's farm one afternoon because from the road, it looks like the main barn is a little tired. Turns out, it's in fine working order. It's a little over 200 feet. I think it's 209 feet long. And it's three floors high. And nowadays, this is just a dry cow heifer barn. Bread heifers and... Dry cows are, are what are here, and the milkers are in that new freestall barn over by the milking parlor. George's family farm supplies milk to Cabot Cooperative Creamery. They're also the single source of milk for Jasper Hill Farms' award-winning cloth-bound cheddar. We've been shipping between 44,000 and 45,000 pounds every other day. Wow. Goes to, goes to Cabot. George is clearly doing well. He's buying up farms in every direction where his kids now live. You can see a lot of the farm there, and that <laughs> is kind of fun to own your own little mountain. Harvey's Mountain. <laughs> Harvey's Lake. Down at his house, George tells me about all the work his family has done on their old barn over the years. He's particularly proud of the work they do on the barn's two cupolas. We've put a metal roof on. Uh, it was shingles. And we repair the, the cupolas, keep them going, and it's hard to get anybody to do that work so we can, we can do it. But he says with everything else going on at the farm, 
They just don't have time for preventative maintenance. I'm ashamed to say it probably gets maintained when it has to be. You know, somebody comes here at four in the morning and starts to feed, and he has different feeds for the amount of milk or if they're dry or whatever. I mean, it's really, it's a, it, and so, you know, maintaining the old barn is, it's only done when we think there's a problem. George has plans to replace a rotting post this summer, and he's always keeping an eye on those cupolas. You know, so that type of thing to keep it standing and and whatnot, so you have that sort of maintenance, but not the sort of maintenance with, I guess, the exception of the cupolas where we try to keep them looking nice. All of which is to say, just because a barn looks old, maybe a little tattered around the edges, it doesn't always mean it's being neglected. So don't judge. But like we heard from Devin Coleman, when barns aren't in working use, that's when they're vulnerable. As you know, this person came to us and said, hey, what's with all the falling down barns in Vermont? You know, how can people just let them go? They think it's a lawn ornament. They really do. This is Ken Epworth again, the barn dismantler and restorer that I mentioned at the top of the episode. I don't think he'd be offended if I called him a tad cynical. I'm cantankerous, you know. Ken has seen his fair share of neglected barns over the years. It's just, well, my grandfather built it, you know, and and uh, just like they watch grandfather get old and fall down, it really doesn't even occur to them that it's worth money or uh, that it's dangerous or it's going to be a lot of work to clean it up when it falls down. Ken says that on a technical level, there are two things on a barn that typically go first. Basically, foundations are going and the roof's going, and they're the two, two most expensive problems to solve. When it comes to roofs, there's a common conundrum. When you see tin blowing off, it's because it was nailed on most of the time. The tin heats up and then freezes and heats up, so you get this movement in the, in the nail of expansion and contraction, and finally it just lets go on a good wind. The standing seam that you see, the early standing seam that's all brown now, it's all rusted, and it looks beautiful on the landscape, but that rust is, is corrosion, erosion, you know, uh, it's on its last legs. But roofs are a lot easier to fix than foundations. And when it comes to those, Ken says the old barns built into hill slopes are especially at risk. They didn't know anything about drainage in those days. What would have been involved is a ditch that was two feet deeper than the floor of the barn. When the water table changed with the seasons, silt would come in through the foundation stones. Which was bad animal husbandry because it would freeze along with manure. So you had frozen manure water for the cows to stand all winter in. And then you get frost teeves that are moving interior posts up and down all the time, and they're rotting. These are the kind of things that compound over the years. Maybe the roof caves in, or the interior beams start to rot, give way. And if you own a barn and you want to slow the march of time, it's really expensive. 
I can tell you for a big, you know, multi-story gambrel roof barn, it costs more than $30,000 to replace just the roof on that barn. And that's just the roof. This is Caitlin Corkins. She administers Vermont's Barn Preservation Grant Program, which gives people money to fix up their old barns. They are icons of what it is to be Vermont. And there was a recognition that we were losing barns, um, and we didn't want to, that we wanted to do something to preserve them. The grants can be up to $15,000, but whatever the grant is, the barn owner has to match it out of pocket. Caitlin says when people have really big projects, sometimes they come back for multiple grants. It's preservation for smaller barns, she says, that can be harder to fund. And especially with the smaller, sort of more specific, purpose-built kind of buildings that are harder to adapt to some kind of new use, that's again why they're more at risk. Uh, Because to invest in them just because they're interesting and part of the landscape, um, it's harder to justify that. And this is the kind of thing that can really put a barn owner in a bind. Because it's expensive to repair an old barn, but it's also expensive to take one down. Uh, And so we talked to two different contractors who told us basically it was going to cost $40,000 to get rid of it. This is Bruce Howlett again. He's the owner of the very sad barn in East Montpelier with the sheep. It's a lot of money, and one of them was going to basically do the same thing you do for industrial buildings, is bash the whole thing into a series of dumpsters and send it up to Coventry to the landfill. And the other contractor was going to take it out in the field and burn it, which still ended up costing a lot of money because there's a lot of labor involved. So for now, Bruce's barn is just sitting there, getting sadder all the time. There's also another financial hurdle here, insurance. Some insurance companies don't want anything to do with decrepit barns. This can make it hard to sell your property if the buyer needs a mortgage. It can also make it tough to insure your main house. That was actually a major, major liability for people. And and it still is. We looked for insurance and there was only one carrier that would cover us. So these old wrecks are more than just an eyesore. It's actually a liability and a problem. And one other thing about finances. Our question asker, Jeanette, had heard there was some sort of tax-related reason that people let their barns decay. Long story short, not really. I called Vermont's tax commissioner, Kai Sampson, with this question. Kai Sampson. He told me if a barn's being used for farming, it can qualify for Vermont's current use program. If that's the case, then the barn would be exempt from property taxes. Current use, by the way, is a program meant to slow the development of farm and forest lands in Vermont. Um, But even in that scenario, we couldn't find any incentives in keeping uh, something up if, by all other accounts, the the logical thing to do was to take it down. In other words, there's no special benefit to letting something just fall down. If the barn isn't in the current use program, Commissioner Sampson says you'd be paying some property taxes on it, though he says a falling down barn probably wouldn't have a huge impact on your taxes. Got a little lost getting here. So it was a a fun ride. Especially especially in the mud season. Josh Karp is showing me around his barn at Kate Hill Orchard. It's in Greensboro, off the side of a winding, muddy road. The barn's a big two-story structure from 1870. It's built into the hillside, so the ground floor is actually kind of sloped down. And that is where the sheep are. We walked in here, and all of a sudden, all the sheep... Kind of started looking at me funny. Oh, yeah. they, like, who, yeah. have, have they ever met a Mike? I mean, have they met a, made a radio reporter before, you know? <laughs> I don't think they have. I think he might be the first. The sheep are one of Kate Hill Orchard's main products. They're raised both for meat and for milk. This barn is where they keep the sheep and the milking parlor. 
but the barn needs some work. So this is a high drive here, and you okay. can see it almost there. makes you seasick to look at it, at least me. See, it's kind of listing. The high drive is a covered ramp, and it's the only way to get to the second floor of Josh's barn. But so what's happening is this rock foundation here is frost has gotten into it, and um, it's starting to heave and fall apart. So the whole front of this is dropping down. Josh got one of those preservation grants that we mentioned earlier. It'll cover half the costs to fix the foundation of the high drive. Altogether, he's doing $13,500 worth of work. You could easily spend hundred grand without batting an eye. I mean, and it's one of those things where we want to stabilize it, but that's like, and then we'll do this this year or next year, and then maybe we'll do, do another project in five years. It's just like it's step by step. This is actually Josh's second preservation grant. Back in 2004, a grant helped him replace the barn roof. For Josh and his wife Maria, all the maintenance makes sense. It's our main agricultural kind of structure. But he says if the barn weren't part of their farming operation, it would be hard to justify fixing it. And it's, you know, to be honest, I mean, it's, it's a lot of impracticality about using this space. Like to get in here and clean out this bedded pack. Yeah, I mean, that gets to like, you know, some of the question that we've been exploring is like, why kind of try to maintain some of these older... Like why bother? Yeah, why bother, you know? Yeah. I think it's this common agricultural heritage that, um, yeah, they, they're, once they're gone, they're gone. And Devin Coleman, the state's architectural historian, feels exactly the same way. Our goal is to save the building in its, you know, original location, its historic context, its relationship to the landscape in that area. And when you start taking them apart and mixing timbers and selling parts, you lose a lot of the history. What Devin's alluding to here is this whole other economy around aging barns. That involves taking them apart and selling the choice beams and boards. And this is where Ken Epworth comes back in. Ken, to remind you, both restores and dismantles old barns, more so the latter. Like I say, I do five or six a year. I've probably done three, four hundred barns in my career. At my age, I've definitely seen an awful lot of barns go, go down, way more than ones I've restored. Ken does most of his work in Vermont these days. But when he was starting out decades ago, he'd take down Vermont barns and rebuild them or reprise them all over the country. Uh, I did as many in Sun Valley, Idaho, or California, or, you know. I would never have gone to Telluride. That's an expensive place to go skiing, you know, or Hollywood. All these places I've worked in Puget Sound, Lake Superior, you know, in the mangroves of Florida, putting up a barn. I mean, it's crazy places. Come over here. He shows me a picture of a barn-like mansion in Sun Valley, Idaho, built with materials from Vermont barns. Nine barns and a covered bridge for two people. I mean, it came out nice. It was a lot of fun. We built a covered bridge from scratch. Ken knows how this looks to some people. I used to take a lot of grief from writers and stuff about carting away the state's architectural history. But as I got older and got more experienced, uh, I realized that you have to put your money where your mouth is. If you think this barn should stay here, and I'm telling you it needs all these repairs, you want to pay for it. And sometimes... Ken says taking a barn down is the only way to preserve its legacy. The problem is, is that if it weren't for me, it's either rotting or, or it's already fallen in. Like I said, Ken has way more jobs in Vermont now than he used to. But he wishes the barns he rebuilds were more visible to the public. Because people get to see it, you know, and enjoy it. Um, half the time I'm on some wealthy guy's mile-long driveway and no one gets to see it, you know. 
Well, that's, yeah, that's something I wanted to ask you about. Like, so it's a disappearance of Vermont's architectural heritage, sometimes even though it's still in Vermont. Well, like we did one on the south side of Camel's Hump. Beautiful barn, beautiful setting, beautiful home, statues everywhere, tennis courts, all this. But, you know, other than their friends, who's going to see it? You know, It's a little sad, picturing the hand-hewn beams in these old Vermont barns ending up in western ski chalets or tucked away on private Vermont estates. And Ken agrees. But he says it's on all of us to change that. It's like a lot of things. It's like the polar bears, you know? People whine about the polar bears now, but they've been killing them off for a century, you know? It's the same thing with the barns. It's hard to imagine everyone who feels a connection with Vermont's forgotten barns, watching them weather, measuring time against them. It's hard to imagine all of us just chipping in to do the repairs Ken is talking about. So for now, I guess we've got to enjoy them while they're still standing or falling. Thanks so much for listening to the show this month. Remember that we've got a ton of photos of old falling down barns collected on our website, bravelittlestate.org. Thank you to everyone who shared with us. At our website, you can also submit a question of your own and vote on the one you want us to tackle next. Brave Little State is a production of Vermont Public Radio. We have support from the VPR Journalism Fund and from VPR members. If you like this show, consider becoming one. This month's episode was reported and produced by Liam Elder Connors and me. We had engineering support from Chris Albertine. Our editor is Lynn McRae, and our theme music is by Ty Gibbons. Other music in this episode by Poddington Bear, Nick Jaina, and Robin Allender. I'm Angela Evansy. Next month, we'll be back with a subterranean question from Mike Brown of Winooski. How are we going to address the aging water sewage systems in Vermont? Until then, remember to be brave and ask questions. That's nice. I just, I'm going to say I just sent Vermont Public Radio a check, but I didn't send them a check. I I did it online, you know. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, thank yeah. you. We right. appreciate well, it. Well, I, I had been putting it off, and uh, but I don't listen to them. As much now, when I spent a lot of time in the tractors, then, I mean, the tractors. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Through Line wherever you get your podcasts.